Hi guys, welcome to the Grace Talk Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, your host, and today we're looking at alcohol in the Bible. And not just what it is in the Bible, but we're going to talk about what that means and what it looks like in our lives. Today I wanted to talk about this because I grew up in a situation where there was a lot of alcohol. I didn't grow up Christian, and not only alcohol, but drugs and other situations were in my family, were in the community I was in, um, and actually caused a lot of problems for my family. Uh, to me, it's important that we think about these situations from a balanced perspective, from a realistic perspective, from a practical perspective. I think generally there are kind of two groups for Christians on this and in the world. Basically, uh, for a lot of people, alcohol is just a no-go. Don't touch it. It's wrong. It's evil. It's bad. It leads to bad places. And I don't want to do it. And in, in my own life, just for those who are listening and you're wondering, just you might be surprised where I go with this conversation, but in my own life, I don't drink at all. Um, and, and that's partially because of my background, right? My whole family has alcoholic tendencies. Uh, my grandparents, my parents, uh, my siblings struggle with similar things and um, not the same stuff, but you know, we have a, a tendency to be addictive. And so I don't want to have that in my life because I know that I personally could not hold uh, my ground. I wouldn't be able to handle it well. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about not from my perspective so much, although that's of course going to be part of this. I want to talk about what the Bible says about it. And before we do though, I want to talk about the first thing. Um, you're either a Christian or you're not, but if you're listening to this, you're at least interested in Christian ideas and having the Bible affect your input. And so from a biblical perspective, the first thing we need to decide is that we're going to listen to what the Bible says from its own context, right? So if I come to this with my preconceived notion of what the Bible should say or shouldn't say, and well, I like this, or I don't like this, or I hate this, or I love this, and and then we try to make the Bible fit into that scenario, we're not going to end up with truth. We're going to end up just with more justification for what we already thought. I think a better perspective, a better attitude, right, would definitely be to say, okay, I know that I have X, Y, Z perspective, but I'm willing to take that perspective and set it to the side for now, just tentatively, and kind of construct another view and see if that view has a has a, a, a more balanced approach. Now, I don't have enough time to really go through this topic thoroughly, completely. So what I'm trying to do is cover uh, the texts that I think are most interesting uh, that I have I mean, because the Bible talks about alcohol quite a lot, actually. Um, there are stories that just one of those stories would take a while to uncover it, right, to discuss it. But I want to kind of give a bird's eye view of generally um, some of the good, uh, some of the bad, and then kind of practical aspects. So that's what our conversation is going to be today. The first is, what are the supporting verses in the Bible, some of them at least, uh, for the concept of alcohol and, and saying that it's okay or that it's, or that it's good? What are the positive? And then the second step we're going to take is, okay, well, what are the negative? And then the third is, okay, what is the practical way to process all this information? So the first place we're going to start is actually in the book of Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 26 uh, has a story in it that's really important. And, and I think it's important to realize that we're at the very beginning of the nation of Israel. God is working with his people and he's trying to teach them how to live in the land of Canaan once they enter it. So uh, verse 22 
and on. This is what it says. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. 23. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his home dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn, learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind it in the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. Here's verse 26. And spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. So here, this is God talking about the tithe and what they are to do with their lives once they enter the promised land. And so this is definitely a pot. There's no question that this is positive, right? Um, wine or strong drink is what they're, they could buy. Now, I want to clarify, through most of these positive verses, you're going to notice that it never says to get drunk. And the New Testament and the Old Testament both are very clear. Drunkenness is a sin. Drunkenness is not Christian drunkenness should not be part of our lives. But at the same time, God does tell them to give wine as an offering, to drink wine as part of their um, rejoicing, and to drink strong drink. Now, there are multiple words for the word wine in the Old and the New Testaments, partially because there are two languages you're discussing, and because even in both languages, there are more than one word. But especially in verse 26, strong drink, there's no question. This is an alcoholic beverage. Um, now, it doesn't, it doesn't say to get drunk, but there are going to be some verses that we're going to cover near the end of this discussion that are going to help make this make more sense. But first, I just want to point out, wine is definitely part of the process. And we're talking about, you know, hundreds and hundreds, a thousand years before Jesus was on the scene, right? So this is like 3,000 years ago, arguably. And it's very likely, of course, that they didn't have uh, some sort of refrigeration. They didn't have a process to make this wine definitely not alcoholic. So... You might say, and I would say, that they're not getting drunk here, that, you know, they're not getting wasted and, you know, doing crazy stuff. Okay, sure. But you can't say that all alcohol is certainly evil in this text, right? Uh, because, you know, even one drop, it's like, and then we, we'll make excuses and say, well, it was just a little bit. It's like, okay, even if it's just a little bit, a little bit is okay. A little bit is something God suggested they do with their money. Numbers 15, 7. Let's look at the next text. And for the drink offering, you shall offer a third of a hin of wine, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So now we're talking about the sacrificial system, the sanctuary process, and they're willing to, they're able to give this as a sacrifice, right? And the word for wine here is definitely alcoholic. So there were multiple words for wine, and it doesn't matter what the words were, but I'll just say though you can look it up if you get a concordance or something that the word here for wine is definitely alcoholic. Now, the, the, the most alcoholic percentage that a wine could, or alcoholic proof that a wine could get uh, in these days was probably about 15% historically because fermentation just starts killing the bacteria that make the alcohol on its own. The alcohol actually kills the bacteria that makes the alcoholic part of the wine. So if you don't have a uh, like a machine or some sort of process like we have today, a distillery, then you can't get really much above 15%. So at any rate, we're certainly not talking about like vodka or something that's going to get you plastered if you drink any of it. That's not what's happening here, definitely. Um, but this wine was accepted, even though it had alcohol, it was accepted as part of an offering, right? And so this drink offering was accepted by God. And that's a little complicated, 
right? That's a little complicated because especially some of us come from like a Puritan or a very conservative, strict background, and we've been taught that all alcohol is evil in all cases at all times. And here, there's some sort of offering being made, and it's acceptable to God to drink it, right? And to give it to him as an offering, like God accepts it. So the question is, does God accept sinful things as a, as a sacrifice, as something that is good and pleasing to him, as a pleasing aroma? I don't think so. So that's Numbers 15, verse 7. Uh, the next one is Genesis 14, and I'm uh, covering the, the the order might seem random, but I'm trying to cover it in a, in a reasonable organization. So Genesis 14, verse 8, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was a priest of God most high, right? So um, Melchizedek brings out this wine. Once again, this wine and this bread uh, are brought out by Melchizedek, who the New Testament sees as a representative of Jesus, right? Who uses as an image of Jesus. And it says that he's a, a priest of God. And it, and it says that it was an offering to him, right? That, so look, the, I, to me, it seems that Melchizedek was probably drinking alcohol and um, Abraham probably was. And these are God's people. And it never says in any sense, it never implies it, that, it's, that it's not acceptable. That he brought it out as a priest to give to Abraham and to give to God as an offering. So once again, the word is alcoholic, um, probably five to ten percent. You know, let's say there's alcohol here, and this alcoholic wine was used in some sort of worship service, basically, right? That's what we would call it today. Um, Psalm 104, verses 13 through 15: From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, verse 15, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Wine will gladden man's heart. So it seems to me unlikely <laughs> that this wine that is gladdening a man's heart, right? This is a poem, and it's trying to discuss these blessings that God gives. It mentions wine, oil, and bread. Right? These results of, of riches, right? You're not going to have bread, wine, or oil unless you have agriculture and unless you're doing well. God has given blessing. He's taking care of you, right? And this wine gladdens your heart. Sounds to me like there's a buzz happening there. That's what we would say today, that it's making them feel good. And I, I think it's hard to imply that, it, well, it's just like, you know, if he drank water and it's like, ooh, it satiated his thirst. Mm, I think that's probably not doing justice to the text here. However, from the same perspective, it's supposed to be a blessing, right? This isn't supposed to be something that makes you crazy and you're getting drunk. Once again, the Bible's clear that getting drunk is a sin. And all of the stories in the Old Testament where someone gets drunk, the story does not end well. It's bad results, right? So nowhere do we get the idea that drunkenness is okay. However, using alcohol in a light manner seems to be implied, right? And so we're not done with this study yet. I don't mean to, you know, this is not the definitive part of the study, okay? But we need to wrestle with this, right? We need to wrestle with this because you can't just pretend that these texts aren't here. They're here. And this is important to process. Proverbs 9 verses 1 through 6. Now, I think this one um, is pretty amazing because it tells us, it, com it compares us to wisdom with the use of alcohol and wisdom throughout the old testament is implied to be the messiah or god's like a source that comes from god and so there is this power this truth using wine but let me read the verses here um we're going to start proverbs 9 verse 4 whoever is simple let him turn in here says wisdom 
Turn to him who lacks sense, she says. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So drink of the wine I have mixed. Now, there are two ways to look at this. Some scholars say, well, they would mix it so thoroughly that the alcohol would be processed out of it, right? Okay, and that that may be true, but it's also very likely that the, the water of those days was impure and unclean, right? Like you'd get water out of a river and it might make you sick. So rather they would take some alcoholic beverage, wine, and they would mix it with water that is unclean and it would make it clean. It would make it potable, right? You could drink it. And so this is also a very likely option. And I think probably the more likely option, but nonetheless, they still didn't have refrigeration. It still wasn't an area where uh, there would be absolutely no fermentation happening in this alcohol. So there's definitely alcohol to some small degree in this juice. And it's, and it says, take it, uh, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight, right? There's there's bread, there's drink, there's wine. And God seems to be saying that it's a blessing. So another positive one here. Uh, Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. All right, so uh, once again, the well-refined, some people say that it's maybe the alcohol has been kind of processed out of it. Um, more likely, it's just high-quality wine, right? And that this well-aged wine, what happens when you age wine, right? Well, it becomes alcoholic. And so uh, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, right? There's this richness, this wine. So richness and wine is often put together. And so God is, he's going to come, have us come together on a mountain in Isaiah, and this definitely aged, most likely alcoholic wine is part of the of the meal. Once again, less than 15% alcohol for sure, but still enough to say that this will affect your mood and your emotions. And as a previous verse said, to make the heart of the one happy, right? So John 2 uh, verses 9 and 10. Now this, this one is hard. So um, this is going to be a little bit of a conversation. So follow me here. This is the wedding at Cana. Jesus goes and he, and he changed the water to wine, right? Now there are a couple things I want to say about this. First of all, this is Jesus. He's holy. He's perfect. The Bible specifically says he never sinned uh, yet without sin, right? He was in every way tempted like we are, but without sin. Jesus did not sin. And drunk, drunkenness is definitely a sin, clearly in the Bible. We're going to cover that later. But this is what it says, verses 9 and 10 uh, in this story. So you can read, if you read John 2, the first part, you're going to see this story, okay? Uh, but we're just going to look at two verses because I think they're the key verses. Uh, when the master of the feast tested the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So, the idea here is that, uh, like, well, well, first of all, Jesus turns the water to wine. Amazing miracle. Represents his, um, his sacrifice for us. You have these jars of purification that he's connecting to the purification process of the Jewish people already. And he's clearly trying to show a message here. Okay, there's a lot of teachings that can be come from this. But uh, what I want to focus on today, what does the master of this party say? 
Okay, he says, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely or drunk a lot, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So here's the key. When he says good wine, what is the master referring to? Ultimately, that's what is the question here. Because the wine, we uh, like oinos, I think is how you would say it uh, in Greek. This word is not very clear. Is it alcoholic or not? It's certainly not like vodka. That didn't even exist. But it was probably alcoholic in most contexts. Is it, is it alcoholic in this context? This is what the master says. But you have kept the good wine until now. And the key is the people bring out the good wine first. And then they've drunk enough that they don't discern good or bad. And so the people, then they give the poor wine because they don't care. Now, there are two ways to uh, interpret this, I think. Uh, the first is that, well, they drank enough that they're no longer thirsty. So then there's bad wine. But then people just wouldn't drink anything because it tastes bad. It's bad wine. Okay, it's alcohol. It's a gross, right? That's, that, that interpretation, I think, is a, is a little unfair to the text. But the master says, no, when you... When you've bring, brought out the good wine, normally they bring out the good wine, people drink it, they are now intoxicated enough that they don't, in, they don't care if it's good or bad, and then they drink the old, the, the, like the, the bad wine. And well, if you're wanting to just get drunk, then you'll drink the bad wine. Okay, so according to the master of the feast, the way he's discussing it, it seems to be saying that for the master, the good wine was alcoholic. Yeah? And so he says, but you have kept the good wine until now. The good wine he's referring to sounds like it's referring to alcoholic wine. And I think we do a lot of gymnastics to get around that concept. Once again, he is certainly not justifying drunkenness in this context, right? You can't say, okay, and this is what often happens, right? People will, people will hear this text and then they'll say, oh, well, see, look, Jesus made wine so I can go get wasted. No, 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 no. This was a wedding for his family that would last days on end and they had ran out of wine and so they need, he needed to supply. There is, this isn't an idea. This is some binger at a frat party on the weekend. That's not what's happening here. And so we can't take our 21st century perspective and say, well, then, you know, there's vodka and schnapps and there's all this whiskey and this really hard stuff that's going to just knock you over. No, 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 no. That's, there's no implication that that's what's happening. This is like 10% proof wine uh, for a, a party, a specific wedding party for a family happening over days of time. And they had run out and Jesus tries to support them. Uh, Matthew 19, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her. Look, uh, verse 11, Matthew eleven nineteen. the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Well, Jesus definitely ate food, and they called him a drunkard. So the issue was that he didn't know how, that they were trying to imply was that he didn't know how to control himself. He, he did too much. That's what makes you a glutton, right? If you eat like a ton of food every single day. Okay, a, a wine bibber, or what, what's the word? Uh, drunkard, a drunkard here is somebody who doesn't know how to control what they drink. And they get drunk and drunk and drunk. So they're calling him that because he drinks. But the, the, the point is, it says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So the wine is either alcoholic or not alcoholic. It could be either. But it's alcoholic enough that the people around him think that he's drinking enough to get drunk. 
Now he's not because he never sinned, right? And Jesus points that out, okay? Uh, but the point is this, that it seems likely that, well, he was around alcoholic drink and that he did drink it. That's what this seems to imply. And then it's comparing him with John the Baptist who didn't drink, eat or drink these things, right? And then they didn't like him either. They didn't like John the Baptist. They don't like Jesus. And so they're not going to accept God's truth from either perspective, right? Um, and then Jesus points out that, well, we're not here to mourn. We're not fasting uh, because I haven't been crucified yet. And that people will fast when that happens. But at this point, I'm still here. Uh, the bridegroom has not gone yet. So anyways, uh, it seems to me that that is an implication. It's not strong, but it seems to imply it. So those seem to be the most powerful verses that imply that probably alcohol was used, that it was an accepted part of the culture. And you see this throughout the Bible that it mentions not to get drunk, but it never says never drink. You'll notice that. And the Bible could have easily said that a thousand different times, but it doesn't say that. Now, I'm not arguing from silence because that would be a mistake if the whole argument was based on that. But if we're going to say that, G that God definitely is against this uh, attitude or this uh, use of alcohol, well, why isn't there any verse that says that specifically? It just isn't there. And so when you have a lot of verses that imply that it's okay, and it specifically gives words that mean alcohol, alcoholic wine, like I mentioned in these previous verses, and you don't have any sort of specific statement against it, it's probably a, a, a normal practice. Probably all the disciples drank. Probably, it, it, maybe even Jesus did without getting drunk, clearly. And so these are the keys. Now we're going to go to the negative ones and we're going to have to go through it fast because uh, a lot of them, which is fine, actually, a lot of them are kind of rep repetitious. Um, but I just want to look at some principles here and then we need to get to how to kind of apply this to our actual lives, like the practicality of all of this, right? So Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Okay, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. In other words, this isn't a game, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. That means the wise wouldn't be led astray by it, which implies to me that there's some use of it, if that makes sense. But the, the, the clear thing is that if you are being led astray by it, if it's ruining your life and causing dissension and problems, then it's not for you, right? That is a sin. That's a problem. You're being a fool, in other words. So don't let that happen, right? Don't let it lead you astray. And if it does, well, then you need to deal with that process. Proverbs 31, 4 through 7. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to, to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. We'll get to that last part later. Uh, but I want to point out, it is not for kings to drink wine. It is not for rulers to take strong drink. And really, there's two ways to interpret this. One is to say, those in a high status should never drink under any circumstances. Or you could say, those in a high status with responsibility, while they're acting as king or acting as ruler or acting as president, should not be, should not be drinking alcohol. So those two things seem to make sense to me, right? Um, now, how specific and how strict you get to that. But the key is, if you have an important thing to do in your life, don't let alcohol be part of the process because it'll it'll dumb it down. It ruins your ability to process, to think clearly. Your frontal lobe is turned off to some degree and you don't want to be making important decisions while your frontal lobe is turned off. I think that's pretty reasonable, right? So ultimately, the question is, do you want to live your life with things that are important? Do you want to accomplish important things? Do you want to have responsibility? If the answer is yes, then while you're doing those things, alcohol should not be even on your lips at all. It's not for you.
Proverbs 21 verse 17 says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Okay, look, oil isn't evil. So it's connected to wine and oil. It's a category here of riches, of, of, of enjoying the fruits of your labor. And taking too much of it is going to hurt you, right? So once again, wine is put in a category with oil, which is not evil, but the use of it, right? It says, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine. Do you love wine? Do you, is your whole, there are many people in the United States, at least who like, they literally live for the weekend, right? They just want to go get drunk. That's all they can wait for. They just work Monday through Friday so that they can afford to go to the bar. That's a problem. You're probably just self-medicating and not processing your life. You're not dealing with things right there. I mean, and we can go on and on about that. I don't, I'm not trying to give a full discussion here, but do you love it? Well, then it's, you shouldn't be, you're, you're, you're out of line. Proverbs 23 Verses 20 and 21. Be not among drunkards or among glutton, uh, gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. So once again, gluttonous and drunkard, this is a problem. If, if, if you have friends, all of your friends are drunks, you're making a mistake because they're going to ruin their lives and they're going to take you with them. And I know that's harsh to say, but you need to have boundaries. It doesn't mean you don't talk to them, right? But it says, be not among, like don't live your life around these people. And by these people, I mean those who have chosen to make themselves a drunkard, chosen to make themselves gluttonous. If they're obsessed with pleasure and always trying to eat and drink and get more, they're not living life in a meaningful way. Don't you want more than that for your life? God has given us much more to live for. So I think that's the goal here, right? Uh, the goal here is to live for Jesus. And that's what we said at the beginning. The goal here is to give our whole hearts to Jesus. Whatever these texts say, where are you at with this? Are you loving alcohol? Are you a drunkard? Are you spending all your time around drunk people and then wondering why your life doesn't have a lot of purpose or direction or meaning and you're not successful? Well, you're, you're, you're paying a price for the, the way you're living your life. And that would be sad. So you, you deserve better. Here in Proverbs 23, we're going to see an interesting thing where we're talking about like, okay, what kind of person should be drinking or shouldn't be drinking, right? Look at this. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to, go to try mixed wine. Look, mixed wine is definitely alcoholic there, by the way. Verse 31, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and glows down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on top of a mass. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Uh, look, who has woe, who has sorrow? The drunkard. I mean, if you look at people who are controlled by alcohol, you can see that, man, it's causing pain in their life. So is it causing pain in your life? If you have red eyes, right, because you've been drinking so much, your body's processing it and you're dehydrated, right? If you have wounds without cause, you wake up in the morning, you don't know what happened, right? If you're causing strife, like if you're getting in random fights, um, this is a problem. You've, you're, you're becoming a drunkard. Um, in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. In the end, not in the beginning. Alcohol never does in the beginning, but it does for some in the end. So don't let that happen to you. If you're getting drunk, it's a problem. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will perverse, utter perverse things. 
you know, people, when they get drunk, they, they're not themselves. They're not in self-control. They're hurting others. It's destructive. Don't let that happen. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. Look, if you're blacking out, if you can't walk, if, if you don't remember what happened, you drank too much. That was, you crossed the line, right? When shall I wake? I must have another drink. If the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up is think about when you're going to drink next, you're an alcoholic probably. You're addicted. It's too much. You're not handling it. So we need to be honest about these things. Once again, this is all about the experience you're having, right? The, the process. How? Where am I with these things? I need to actually process. I need to actually think about it. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Look, this is pretty clear. Ephesians 5. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. These things are seen as kind of contrasting, right? Okay, filled with the Spirit, drunk with wine. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you can't be drunk with wine. Your brain is turned off, right? I mean, that's what that's honestly a big part of why people get drunk. Yeah? Uh, there's a lot more to it, of course, but, and honestly, you deserve better. Like your life deserves better than just to live for the weekend and get drunk. The spirit of God wants to live inside you, wants to control you, wants to guide you and give you meaning and purpose and, and joy. Um, but if you're ignoring the spirit because you want to numb yourself and go get drunk every weekend, like it's going to be harder for God to work in your life, much harder. You're, you're ignoring it. And so I, I, I just think you deserve better. Right? And that's kind of what this implies. Isaiah 28, verse 7. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. And pre the priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. Oof, they stumble in giving judgment. This is Isaiah. We're talking about God's people who have been led astray because even the priests were getting drunk to the place that when they made judgment about God's word and his will, they were wrong. They couldn't see the truth. They didn't understand things. So even spiritual people, quote unquote, right, who say, I can control it. If it's changing your judgment, changing your perspective, you're in the wrong. Galatians 5.21 says, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and th things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness. Now, it doesn't mean if you have gotten drunk once in your life, right? It, those who practice such things. And this fits in the Christian perspective very well, right? I need to repent and walk with, repent from my sins and walk with the Lord. But if I'm walking in sin, if I'm consistently practicing these things in my life, I'm doing the opposite, right? I'm not walking with the Lord. I'm practicing sin, just like if I was uh, practicing envy, right? Uh, if I'm trying to be Lord of my own life, I'm not letting Jesus be Lord of my life, right? So you can't go to heaven if you, if you don't have Jesus as Lord of your life, if you don't live by faith, right? It's, that's pretty simple. Once again, it's not a specific act. It's the general tendency of your life, the general direction of your life. Are you practicing evil or are you submitting to the Lord and letting him live in you, right? So don't be over, and and, and I want to say, don't let like, don't be overwhelmed by one moment where you've made a mistake, right? It might not even be alcohol. It might be some other addiction, but okay, you, you slipped up, turn back to the Lord, repent, walk with the Lord, walk with Jesus, let him change your heart, Get, allow him to fill you with his spirit. Instead of just turning back to your addiction out of out of hopelessness. No, the Lord wants to save. His arm is long and strong to save, and he will save you. Praise the Lord. Timothy 3.8 says this. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 
So in other, some, some versions say given to much wine, right? So first of all, it says deacons should not be given or addicted to wine, which means they could be drinking wine and it's fine. I mean, there's no other way to say that, right? It could have just said never drinking wine, should not touch it, right? They should take like, which was, by the way, in the Old Testament, there was called what was called a Nazarite vow where they wouldn't even touch grapes because it might be alcoholic. So there was this practice and other similar practices where there were moments where you should not be touching wine at all. So in the, in the New Testament, he could have easily said that deacons should not be touching wine at all, but that's not what happened. They shouldn't be given to it. They shouldn't be alcoholic. It shouldn't be an addiction for them. They shouldn't need it every weekend or every month to go get wasted and have a fun time, quote unquote. No, no, no. That's not the goal. It's supposed to lighten the heart of man. That's what the verse said before that we talked about. If it's going beyond that and you're getting drunk, there's a problem here. So now, now I want to spend about two minutes talking about practical balance and how we apply this to our lives. So 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says, as all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So here's Paul, who's a missionary, uh, trying to do ministry in the world. And he's saying, yeah, I could do a lot of things. Uh, now, I think here it's implied alcohol, but he's actually talking uh, in this context about meat. And there, there were a lot of cultural things happening. But there were some who felt that um, you needed to be more strict and some who felt that you need to be less strict. And what Paul is saying is, I'm not going to let my ability to, do, to be less strict, even though I could do that, I could still walk faithful with God. I'm not going to let anything get in my way with Jesus, right? I will not be dominated by these things, right? And that's a good word. I like that word. And that's why I wanted to point this out. Like, You should not be a Christian who is dominated by alcohol. If it is dominating your life, when you sit alone at night and you pray to the Lord and you know that you're controlled by this substance, there's a problem there. You need to talk to the Lord about it. You need to let it go. You need to get a support system of, of, of believers who will help you grow in the Lord. Um, so are you being dominated? Uh, and that's really a good way to balance. First Timothy 5.23, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So this is Paul talking to Timothy, one of his, um, uh, another companion in the Lord doing ministry. And Timothy would travel a lot. So what's probably happening here, we don't know for cer certain why Timothy was getting sick, but probably he was drinking water from different areas. It had different bacteria and it was making him sick. And Paul is saying, um, you need to drink wine so that it'll kill this bacteria right? And it'll make it so you can drink the water and not be sick all the time. Now, probably this also implies that Timothy wasn't drinking wine at all up until this point. But we, so even, so, so, you know, this is a normal practice to not drink wine. You know, it, to, to say, I don't drink wine and I don't think it's ideal. That's a normal practice, right? Timothy was, seems to have been doing it, but Paul says, okay, but look, you're getting sick. This from a medicinal perspective and from a practical perspective, you're going to be better off not being sick all day. If you just drink like 3% uh, alcoholic wine, right? Like very low, very, very low wine. It'll cure, kill some of that bacteria, help your stomach process things. You'll feel better. You'll be a much better servant for the Lord, right? And and we do that with medicines today, medicines that affect our mood or affect our, um, like our excitement, right? Like, uh, for example, people with really intense ADHD that are on, on some medication to help them you know, and, and it helps them be balanced. Um, it, do, it doesn't help them be more excited and, and it, it makes them suffer a little bit, but overall it's much better. So there's this medicinal use of drugs to help. And so we do that all the time with aspirin, with uh, anxiety medication, with ADHD, where they're affecting our mind, but in a way that is beneficial in the, in like the, if you look at the broad picture. So the question is in the broad picture, is this alcohol going to help you? I think in many cases, the answer is no. 
And I think sometimes we draw strict lines to say no alcohol because we don't think people can be fair and honest in their own lives about how this is affecting them. And the truth is maybe that's right. Right? We love to make excuses for ourselves. But once again, the question is, how can I serve the Lord most effectively? Uh, Leviticus 10, 19, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. So this is uh, in the context of Nadab and Abihu. And uh, it's talking about uh, the priests and those who are spiritual leaders that they shouldn't drink wine or strong drink. Drink no wine or strong drink. And this goes with the Nazarite vow, which was a spiritual vow to, to be in service of God. And so there are many today, uh, because the New Testament calls all believers a priesthood of believers, and that we are in what Adventists call the antitypical day of atonement, that we're at a, we're at a point in history where we need to be all in for ministry. And we see this concept uh, in the New Testament, like where Paul, he didn't even get married because he wanted to work full-time for the Lord and, and wanted to be able to just go you know, 24 hours a day and not have any other responsibilities other than preaching the gospel, right? So he made sacrifices, which he which we mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians. He made sacrifices for, and didn't do things he could have done that were good things, like having a family. He didn't do those things so he could focus 100%. And there is a similar concept here in Leviticus with, okay, if you're a spiritual leader, it might be reasonable uh, that you don't drink at all, period. And we as a nation of priesthood, like a, uh, a priesthood of believers, right, that a holy nation, that we are supposed to all be on mission for Jesus, then, okay, is it worth, let's say, for example, I'm a Christian and I want to do mission, and I think that alcohol is only hurting my mission by 1%. Okay, is it worth drinking alcohol so that I can hurt 1% or would I would it be better to just get rid of the alcohol so that I'm not hurting 1% of my ministry? I think when you look at your life as a mission for Jesus, for God, to share the gospel, to live a life that is good and meaningful and holy, there are many risks that come with drinking alcohol that maybe it's not worth it, let alone financially. I mean, just think about the financial perspective, right? Um, and Hopefully you're not drinking enough that that's a big part of it. But still, there is a sacrificial aspect of being a Christian that we lay aside things that aren't bad, but they're just not 100% streamlined for mission. So uh, Romans 14.21, I think there's more. Look at this. Romans 14.21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now in Romans 14, this is certainly in the context of dealing with different people from different uh, backgrounds. So there were Jews who uh, saw eating meat sacrificed to idols in one way, and there were Gentiles who had a different background. And when they started mixing, some of them said, if you eat meat sacrificed to an idol, you are worshiping that idol. And other people said, no, if we eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol, I'm not worshiping the idol. I don't care about that idol. It's just meat and I'm hungry. And so what Paul's point was, well, if you're this person who, who's okay with eating the meat, it's, it's good for you to not eat that meat in front of your brother who's confused by it because you should be willing to sacrifice that meat for one day so that you don't hurt your brother. He even said, these people are the stronger Christians, but they should be willing to let it, let it go. So let go of their own rights so that they can support their brothers and sisters in Christ who were sincerely confused and sincerely struggling. It's not like they were just being stubborn and, and rigid. No, they had a background, years of sacrificing to these, to these fake gods. And to them, when they were, if they were to eat that meat, it would be worshiping that God because that's what they had done for you know decades of their life. And so Paul's saying, don't confuse your brother. 
let go of things. And I think there are many in our church, wherever you are, many in your family and friends who, if they drink, it's going to hurt them. Maybe because of their background, maybe like me with a propensity to, uh, towards addiction, right? It would be a sin for my friend to come up and try to push me to drink alcohol, knowing who I am. That would be wrong because they're going to throw me into a pit where I can't get out of because I'm an addictive personality. So uh, that's the idea, right? It is good to not eat drink, to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. I should let go of things if I believe it will hurt another person's walk. And that's another important part of this, right? Is it going to hurt my mission? That's what we talked about a minute ago. Is it going to hurt another person's mission and their life with Jesus, right? And then Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is uh, a verse I want to share really quick. Uh, sorry, yeah. Therefore, since we have such a great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance or weight and the sin that easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this is kind of another you know, verse kind of talking about the same thing. We need to let go of things that are going to hurt our walk with Jesus. And so Paul makes a clear, well, yeah, Paul in Hebrews 12, he makes it a clear statement that, okay, there are sins and there are weights. And these weights are not sin. They're not the same thing, right? Like it's not, you're not hurting anyone or anybody else directly. But what it does is it slows you down in your run for the mission of the gospel. So you need to let go of those things so that you can run with endurance the race. We need to let it go. And we, of course, we need to let go of sins, right? So drunkenness, absolutely gone. Um, but also I would say for many, drinking alcohol, even in a non-sinful way that isn't drunkenness, it's just you're enjoying it on the with you know with your friends at a birthday party or something. Like I would say sometimes that can be a weight too. And we need to consider that. So the question is, how can I serve Jesus better? How can I live the best life for Jesus? And if you're struggling with how to make this decision, I would suggest this. Try to fill your life with so many good things that you know aren't a weight, that you know aren't a sin, that, okay, fill your fill your life with so many good things that the other stuff becomes secondary. These weights, these sins, they, they seem like a waste of time, right? So let's say, for example, um, uh, what's a weight in my life? I would say uh, sugar. <laughs> I struggle with sugar. I love sugar. And I don't mean to put sugar necessarily in the same category as alcohol, but, but follow me here. I struggle with sugar. And for me, it's definitely a weight. It's definitely something that uh, slows down my health, uh, makes me not feel good. It's a waste of money, etc. How can I do better? One way is to fill my life with good things that kind of fill the same category. So for example, fruit. It's sweet, it's good, I like it, and it's healthy. And it's not an easy thing. It is a conscious choice, let me tell you. But I went to the store the other day and I bought a whole bunch of fruit, a whole bunch of, uh, uh, of grapes and peaches and bananas and all this stuff and put it in my fridge so that it was there. Now look, I still have a Coca-Cola here, right? Um, and I drink, I, st I still drink sugar sometimes, right? Uh, but I'm doing much better. And I would say that try to fill your life with good things that are more meaningful, that are better. And then the other things are going to seem distasteful. They're not going to. And, and as you lay those things aside, and the goal constantly is to know Jesus more and to grow in him, that these things, as you process this issue of alcohol and any other type of substance or any other type of food, as you process it, ask yourself, is this helping me towards Jesus? Is this helping my brother and sister towards Jesus? Is this helping the mission of God? Is this helping those in my neighborhood who don't know Jesus? My life matters. And I think honestly, many times we drink alcohol because we're just like, well, forget it, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to chill out and have fun here, right? Like it said earlier, it's for those who are dying or for those who have no, um, like they're not leaders, they're not doing anything important. But biblically, your life matters. 
So what are, what are your motivations? Pray to God about that. Bring it to him. Let him change your heart. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. And let him help you live a life worth living. God bless you as you apply these principles to your walk with Jesus. Thank <laughs> you.